has been directly proven to increase win rates by 47%. And I don't know out there right now that wouldn't want to improve that win rate by 47%. They would be game-changing, right? Welcome back, everybody, to this week's Sales Strategy and Enablement Podcast. I'm Alistair Wilcock from Revenue.io, and I'm really excited to have with us today Spencer Miller Fellows, who is actually our Senior Director of RevOps Enablement right here at Revenue.io. Spencer, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. It's uh, pretty hot down here in Texas, but uh, not so bad that the AC can't make up for it. So, Well, I'm glad we're keeping you cool and we'll try not to uh, get too hot under the collar here in the next uh, 25 minutes or so as we uh, chat about generative AI, its role in enablement, its role in RevOps. And, and just for the audience's context, you, you've been in the game of, of enablement and now RevOps for well over north of a decade. You know, Invicti before Revenue.io, other mm-hmm. big firms around the software space. Um, you've seen the channel plays, the indirect, the direct. So you know, it'll be really interesting to get your thoughts on where you think the market is going and how things are being applied here um, over the next uh, 12, 18 months as well. Yeah. Now, Spencer, as everyone knows and listens to the podcast, we tend to start with news of the week. And, you know, there were a couple of really interesting things that popped out this week, but among them, a topic that is actually somewhat near and dear to me is in sports, one of my favorite sports to watch and is now really making a, a revival here in America is Formula One, made popular by Netflix now. And, you know, this yep. is the car racing series. Uh, that goes around the globe, but now with three destinations here in America. Including here in Austin. Right down, yeah, right in Austin. Yeah, the Circuit of Americas. Now, why are we going to talk about Formula One and how is that timely news? Well, recently it came out that the Williams team in Formula One disclosed that they use artificial intelligence to analyze 70,000 channels of data produced by the F1 car to improve simulations and development. And when you think of that, you know, 70,000 channels, you and I often, even in, in our world, we are, you are consuming thousands upon thousands of data sets we have, conversation data, we're looking at third-party data sets, we're looking at the first party, like all of those things, many, many, many of the data sets, and the volume continues to grow. You know, a Formula One car is generating mass amounts in a short period of time. When you hear that kind of volume, what does your hair do? How do you stand up? What, what would excite <laughs> you? What scares you? What would you tell the Williams team to do with that much data? Yeah. I mean, thinking about just the 70, you said 70,000 different inputs, right? Into this large data model that they're going to have AI doing some amount of parsing and analyzing and, and creating models off of, right? The biggest thing I would start with is how are you already starting to label? What do you know? How can you understand the data that's coming in, in terms of uh, like, how, how is it labeled? How is it being provided to you? And then what can be done after the fact? The, the challenge I think is, you know, 70,000 pieces and 70,000 different flows in a little bit more than uh, your standard business. But when I think about like the enterprise space, right, any good modern rev ops team, any good sales ops team, any larger business analytics team, it's going to have that many plus, right? Combining all your different data sources all into one place, it can be really, really challenging to to parse through that. And now it's currently taking 
teams that specialized teams of data analysts to go through this. And I bet you're about to surprise me with like, and they're going through this with AI and the results are X, right? And they don't have a data analyst team like that. Well, I, th I think you're going down the right path. Absolutely, Spencer. But but actually, what's interesting is while AI solves it a lot, I actually think the struggles are often even more basic. So I'll give you an example. When we ask and look at well, where, where are people struggling in terms of sales operations and usage of data specifically, you get that 76% uh, of sales ops and rev ops professionals use it to track performance against current goals. Okay, that's good. That's going to tell me how everybody's doing. Mm -hmm. Current state. By the way, the satisfaction level of that is under 50%. It's around 42. Yeah. Okay. So so even like the most prolific use case, we're less than 50% satisfied with, with what's going on. So then you go into number two. The number two bucket is people use data to compare current performance against historical performance. Okay. So and that, by the way, generally sits around your know, 29% to 25, somewhere in there is what the amount that happens there. Satisfaction, unsurprisingly, drops further, down about 38%. And then you go, well, what about something that actually drives a forward-looking thing? Because both of those are backwards-looking numbers. At best, they tell me up to today what's going on. The big one, you know, what about next best action? How do you help me make a business decision? How do you help me decide what to do tomorrow? And out of the top rankings, only 13% of people are even considering doing that. And again, under 50% are even satisfied with the result. And so when I think of the Formula One team, I think of Williams and I think of that car and 70,000 channels, would you only collect all of that data to go and say, well, how do we do in the last race? Almost there, right? How are we doing up to today? Wouldn't, wouldn't you want to build a strategy that says, hey, here, based on the simulation, in this environment, in this scenario, in this conversation, here's what should happen. Here's what is the best action you do. And we may be wrong, but I might, I want to get to the idea that I'm going to make a prediction based on a scenario to drive the forward looking thing because everything else is just getting me to the starting grid. Yeah, absolutely. And just thinking through what the blockers are right now for most sales ops and most rev ops teams, right? The, the challenge is in just getting to a point where you have the data so that it can be analyzed, so that it can be made available to have almost always human decision makers looking at this and making those guesses based on either past experience or their hopes, oftentimes hopes more than not, right? And leading those decisions based on, on what you're seeing. The ability to recommend the next best action at a business level, at a individual deal level, just doesn't quite exist yet, right? Well, and, and I think it's what, what happens is, is people don't know how to put the strategy together to use the data. Mm -hmm. And so when I've interfaced the companies at Gardner or Revenue.io, elsewhere and all that, most tend to take a sales op approach that is inside out. Meaning, I got sales operations or rev ops who basically push insights to leadership, marketing, sales, the sales team and say, hey, here's what's going on, right? It's analytics that are going to, you know, drive adoption, or it's uh, you know, data we think will help the seller. But it's kind of this: we are just pushing out yep. to the world, and then hope the seller or somebody else is going to go do something with it, right? I know that hope feeling very well. Okay, so so so, so before I give the alternative to that, yeah. just expand on that feeling. What's what's happening? 
Yeah. So oftentimes what will end up occurring when you're going about building, you know, maybe you're trying to create a new type of insight, you're building a new dashboard, you've got a request to build some type of analytic to answer some business question. The hope is that immediately the person who needs it or may have had some demand for it uh, will use it, answer the question, be able to run, go for it. But when a RevOps department is really like able to start investigating and exploring their own questions, then you're building based on your understanding of the person's experience, right? Of the business's experience and hoping that the users are going to be able to translate kind of what you're building into their own processes. You need to build a process alongside it more often than not. And the challenge becomes, how can I enable the team, not just on, hey, here's a dashboard, but here's how this fundamentally changes your sales motion. Now, the the beauty of something like what generative AI could promise, right, is that you wouldn't have to do all of that translation. Being able to create and put something in the language of your users rather than the language of the practitioners is is pretty powerful. And and there's probably a number of different ways to we, we could be exploring that even today. Well, and I think you're right. So I think, you know, just to recap what I think I heard you say there is you know, for a lot of sales ops teams, sales enablement teams, they are living in this inside out world, right? They're trying to guesstimate. They're trying to take the data and say, here's what I think should happen. Here's where it should go. Well intended. But the reality is they often don't know the priority of where they're going. So you're kind of, you're shooting in the dark to an extent. So when you're shooting in the dark, what are you going to do? You're going to tell me what happened today and what happened yesterday. Yeah. The things I'm confident on. That's right. Whereas I would suggest, you know, the future sales strategy and enablement and rev ops and sales ops, it is more into what I'd call an outside in approach instead of inside out. Where now the teams are sitting there looking at, well, what are the compelling customer interactions? How do those interactions drive an action with my sales team? And do I have data to support that? And then do I have customer-driven ops? Not sales ops, not rev ops, customer-driven ops. Because that is suddenly where you're getting into what are the challenges the buyer's facing? How does sales support that challenge? And how do we do that? And I know that may seem like a subtle change, but I really think that outside-in perspective is the right way to think about the problem. Otherwise, like the Williams team, you may have 70,000 channels of data, but if you don't know how to ask the right questions on how to win the race, you're never going to get there. Yeah, You're only at best going to do marginal improvement or look at yesterday. And I think you know, we are now shifting to a world, to your point, Spencer, where we are going to this outside in world where tying in third-party tools and generative tools to help us assess and predict and understand what happened at those critical points of customer interaction, that's what's going on for the future of enablement and ops. Yeah. I mean, thinking through sort of getting to that customer level, right? Of getting to, I'm not just doing this based on sort of the key structures or tenants of the business. There's a translation effect that has to happen between, you know, if you are a enablement professional, right? And you're trying to understand what's going on with your customer. The struggle is very, very real of you're one step removed in many cases. Like you can listen to as many calls as you want. You can shadow as many reps as you want. But at the end of the day, you don't have the same experience as your sellers in going through that. Uh, I think there's, there's a lot of power of switching that so that the customer 
data is driving and leading what is being generated out of these enablement teams because right now it's what the seller is driving and leading out of the enablement teams. And it's what the, you know, the the different pressures of the business driving and leading these enablement teams. I think about, you know, training structures that I built in the past or or different onboarding plans, right? And the 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 challenge is you're often trying to check as many of the business's boxes as you can rather than those really customer facing boxes. How are you driving the best customer experience, the best buying experience possible throughout the whole thing. And it's a big shift, right? It's been a shift for a while. People have known the goal of enablement is to get to there, but the ability to not have to filter that through multiple layers of communication and uh, processing, that that's what's new. Yeah. And I think so. And, and do you see a place where automation and those things begin to come in? Like it, we've had RPA around for a while, but the automation of data analysis. Yeah. I think this is where generative AI is really interesting because now you can query more easily the data that's there. But but that is easy to say. There is some setup associated. Yeah, there, there's a number of different ways that you know an enablement team could get value out of generative AI. Just from like the basic, how do I model a customer conversation? Right now, the prevailing form of training of behavior, right, is role play, giving people a safe environment to go in and practice. And that's based on a person's experience as a customer. If your trainer is not experienced with the customer, if your trainer is maybe someone who's never actually had a, a sales role before, that can be really challenging for the trainer. They're often, you know, reading off of scripts or trying to build what they need. Having a generative AI model would allow for them to be much more fluid and much more realistic in terms of portraying real customer needs and providing that real experience to the individual that's trying to learn. And that's just in setting up one exercise, right? I've spent hours and hours and hours poring over lesson plans with trainers that have really done their best to sort of think about what's the optimal way to learn this so that you're hitting on all these different adult learning principles. You're making sure that folks are coming in and being, you know, given a good grounding. That stuff can be automated as well, right? It's not just coming up with a script, not just coming up with, you know, a, a piece of writing. It's everything from the outline of the lesson plan all the way down to the individual exercise that could be built with AI and built using a giant repository of conversation data if you've got one. Now, I like all of that, but I want to push a little bit here, Spencer, because you have also a very strong enablement background. Mm -hmm. One of the biggest, and even from my experience at Gardner, one of the biggest issues with enablement always is retention. Yep. I can teach you all day long, but the number roughly is the 79% of what you learn, you forget every 30 days. Yeah. But how do you take that to beyond just the learning, beyond just the school environment and into the real world? Yeah. Well, I only going to talk about real time from this moment on, right? Like the way that you get that is by providing feedback. Any learner adopts new behaviors based on the provision of feedback and the ability to understand what that feedback is meaning. So once your new sales rep is going out there and starting to experience and understand their customers and starting to learn like the right ways to behave, that's when you start providing feedback. And the standard model, of course, is, you know, you listen to a call, you do a plug-in session, Maybe you just, you know, have a recap with them based on how they think they went. The best way to do it is in real time. 
right? Because if you can provide behavioral change during the customer interaction, if you can ensure that the key behaviors are reinforced in real time, it means that the rep is actually going to be able to see the impact, not just on a time that they remember this piece of coaching in the future, but in the call right away and understand the impact and the reason for that coaching. Yeah. So that's, you know, what we're, what we need to do. The wonderful piece of uh, what generative AI can do is it can also look for the instances where that feedback should be occurring and help you find instances where real-time feedback can give you a meaningful change in seller behavior. You know, not just your own best practices. Again, the times that you are translating up the seller experience into enabling experience and providing these ideas, but also what is the larger data model say? What is generative AI saying are the key inflection points that you should be looking for and you should be scripting out? And I think this this is really exciting because you you think of conversational AI and obviously everybody knows we are a conversational AI company. I would hope so. But nonetheless, what what is very neat, if I put my gardener hat on, what's always been fascinating about that space, it isn't just recording. And I always tell companies, even if you don't know quite what to do with it yet, coaching and all of that, mm-hmm. you want to record everything you can. Oh my gosh, yes. It is, it is so important. I don't care whether it's field AEs, it's the most advanced sales, all the way through to SDRs, like everything across the spectrum. Record, record, record. And the reason for that is because once you have a large and a growing amount of conversational data and intelligence, what can we do with that? Well, we can start to analyze, back to your earlier point, we can self-automate the analysis to say, well, what makes a good call versus a bad call? And it isn't just a behavior of talk time and listen time. There's, there's checklists. There's, you can reinforce certain uh, models like a med pick or a bant or challenger, whatever you want to value being selling. So I can prescribe that and I can see, is it happening from there? Because I now have the reference data to work from through recorded conversation. I can build scripts. Now, scripts are debatable. It's not like scripting is new. Yeah. But- Helping people architect what is a more ideal conversation and dynamically handle objections in real time and all of that has been directly proven to increase win rates by 47%. And I don't know anybody out there right now that wouldn't want to improve their win rate by 47%. They would be game changing, right? It, it is. And, and and that's the thing. You just have to start with what well, I need. To, I need somewhere to work from. You, know, you can decide all day long where there's different things you want to try and hope for. Or you can actually say, well, let me actually listen and learn and then enable my team in real time with those objections as they come up with the things that occur as they're happening and all of that. And I think that's such an important piece for people to to recognize. Record, record, record. Even if you don't know what to do with it, record and put it somewhere today. Anytime I talk to uh, you know folks that don't have an enablement team, that's the first question I ask them. Well, are you recording your calls? Are you able to listen through? And understand the entire cycle of your customer interactions because it makes such a big difference and then when you have that data right exactly what you're saying i used to have a trainer uh, actually two trainers at uh, in my last role that had to listen to hours 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 to come up with like a report and recommendation of their ideas of what could be done to improve the sales experience what could be done to improve the product yeah and the the outcomes were usually well-received, but 
you never know. If you can reduce that time down just by having a large language model that can parse through everything that's going on, being able to provide up a recommendation, that would be incredible because the work led to some really great projects, some really great changes to our onboarding, to our sales methodology, but it was tedious and time-consuming and required a lot of human intervention and a lot of selling afterwards. Uh, absolutely. So I know we're going to run out of time here, Spencer, but let's recap what we've gone over for everybody, right? You know, we're saying, let's not do an inside-out sales ops approach. Let's do an outside-in work from the customer scenario bank. Number two, make sure we record everything because that is the starting point of better analysis and getting to forward-looking insights. Number three, Think about how you take your methodologies, take your learnings, and reinforce that in real time. And I know a lot of people, will, one, are scared to record things, and two, they think that it's a distraction for things that are happening in real time and all of that. And it's common fear. But you know, as Forrester will tell you, when you now live in a world that nearly six, 67, I believe is the latest data, almost 70% of all conversations are happening virtually. It's actually increased post-pandemic. The idea that somebody can't be helped or shouldn't be helped in a virtual sales model like a conversation we're having right now, yep, that's a big, that's a competitive miss. And you know, Spencer, you and I work tirelessly and you're leading the charge on you know, how do we do that? Where do we go real time? How do we even ingest more and more third-party data, first-party data, and ever increasing our data sophistication? Oh, yeah. Because like a Formula One team, we have many, many channels now feeding into the RevOps organization from CS to marketing to sales to third parties. All of that needs to be triangulated so that once our sellers talk to people, they're the best possible conversations ever. I would encourage anybody in the enabling space to start getting in and, and playing around. If you have data at your disposal that you can use, so you know recordings of customer calls or any sort of, of interactions that you know about, that's a really great jumping off point for anybody to try and learn more about these types of models and, and figure out what can be done. The power of generative AI is really only just beginning to be seen in the marketplace and a career like enablement that is so centered on providing a very human-centric approach is only going to be bettered by having a lot of the, the very challenging sifting portion being done and allowing for the human centricity to come through once you're tailoring what's coming out of these models. I love it. Now, before I let you go, I got to shift our topic slightly, Spencer. All right. So you ready for a little fun trivia just to wrap this up? Let's try it. Okay. Recent statistics. So according to OpenAI, ChatGPT use fell for the first time in June. By actually a whopping 9.7%. You know, and by the way, that trend was mirrored by its rivals, others in the space that are doing similar things. The Wall Street Journal speculated the drop-off is due to which of the following? Number one, ChatGPT actually got dumber and less effective as the company had to regress to version three to cut costs. Number two, fewer kids use ChatGPT for homework. Number three, ChatGPT told users to go outside and do something more useful and fun. Uh, I'm going to go for number two with the homework, uh, thinking about what I'm soon to be facing with my own children as they uh, learn about these models. 
as we head into the summer months, it is absolutely correct. You are right. Number two is the correct answer. Students reduce their usage of ChatGPT in school because they're on summer break. Therefore, it dropped nearly 10% usage on the platform on there. And and look, as somebody that has, uh, is, a, is a fan of the education system, every educator out there, please embrace. Don't be frightened. Right. Embrace, accelerate, and help your students understand how to use these tools, how to query, and how to use a vast knowledge set. But just like the internet and, and searching, just because it says something, fact check always. Absolutely. Spencer, it has been so much fun having you on it. Keep up the amazing work. How do people get a hold of you on LinkedIn? If you want to reach out to you and ask direct you know, sales ops, rev ops, enablement questions, you're one of the pioneers and leaders in this space. What's your email? You get a hold of you. Yeah. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn at Spencer Miller Fellows. Uh, you can also reach out to me via email at spencer.fellows at gmail.com. Uh, it should be noted Spencer is S-P-E-N-S-E-R. It confuses quite a number of folks. Alistair, thank you so much for the opportunity to come and chat with you today. And uh, it was both informative and fun to, to chat through it. Likewise. And for those listening in, please remember to like and subscribe. And please dial in with your questions. Uh, Howard and I will attempt to get to them on a future episode. And Spencer, we look forward to having you back here in the coming months. Thanks so much. <laughs>